Hey guys, Jackie here. Today you are about to listen to one of my favorite episodes we've ever recorded. We called my friend Michaela and talked to her about her story about um, a broken engagement that she went through and God's redemption and story of resurrection in it all. I really hope you guys enjoy this interview. We talk about um, periods of waiting and trusting God in those periods of waiting, um, really discerning pure love for someone rather than just desire. And really discerning when God is speaking to us, um, if he wants us to move forward with his inner peace and really feeling that inner peace versus just a surface level happiness. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Michaela. Hey guys, welcome back to Let's Talk About It. I'm Jackie. And I'm Megan. And today we're talking with uh, Michaela who I am finally getting to talk to um, in person, well, over the phone. But I, um, I'm i not sure how we ended up following each other, but I think I followed you first. I'm not sure how. But I saw that you posted about um, a story about your engagement and just a really pinnacle story in your life. And I was like, oh my gosh, we have to have this girl on to talk about her story. It was just so beautiful. You wrote this um, blog post on your blog, which we will definitely leave a link to in the show notes. But I'm just really excited to have this conversation. And yeah, to start, can you share a little bit about yourself, um, where you're from, and what you're currently doing? Of course. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, ladies. It is a pleasure. Um, My name is Michaela, as you said, and I'm originally from the Philadelphia area in the suburbs. Um, And I just got married and I'm currently living with my husband in his parents' house, which is, you know, (laughs) it is what it is. It's a good time. We're very grateful. Um, I'm working for Litany, which is a Catholic women's clothing line. And then I also co-founded and run Thrifted and Threaded, which is a secondhand slash vintage online store um, that my twin sister and I run together. Um, So I have two kind of passion projects that combine faith and fashion, which are two of my great joys. Um, And yeah, that's what I'm currently up to. I love both of that because I personally love thrifting. Like I love me a good deal. I love like just like mm-hmm. the atmosphere of thrift stores. So I just I love that integration that you've kind of created with faith and fashion and thrifting. I, I love all of that. That's really awesome. <laughs> Thank you. We love it too. And we loved it so much that we were doing it too often and <laughs> had to find an outlet. <laughs> yes. Which is how our store was born because two girls can only need so many clothes, you know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> And I've seen some of the photos of the clothes and you guys modeling and you guys definitely need to check it out because all of the items look so beautiful. Oh yeah, yes. Thank you. Yeah, so I guess we'll just jump in to your story. Um, I'm going to read a quote from the blog post that you posted because it just, it took my breath away. It was so beautiful. So I'll start with that. Um, So you say, Over the course of our lifetimes, our lives become intricately woven stories that, if you pay close attention, reveal the ways in which God has worked to shape us into the men and women he desires for us to become. 
We know this because God himself lived a story so that we may better understand him and how moments of life, death, and resurrection all play necessary roles in our own path to heaven. Oftentimes when we are in the thick of the action, we are unaware of how our story is shaping us, and it's not until we look back that we can clearly see how the darkest moments became the most powerful, truest points, and how the outcome is often better than we could have imagined for ourselves. Our stories are precious encounters with the God of the universe who reveals himself in ordinary life, and so they are worth sharing. The story that I'm about to share has been the most unexpected and unimaginable blessing in my life, and as I reflect and put it into words for the first time, I share it with you in hopes that he may be glorified through it and that the truth of his life, death, and resurrection may be seen in the midst of my story. And I loved that. I love how you emphasize that we live out the life, death, and resurrection in our lives. And I remember hearing someone say that over and over, we live out the Paschal mystery. And with that, um, can you share some of your story with us and how the Paschal mystery played out in your life uh, during this period? Yeah, of course. I I love that quote that you shared um, at the end about how we over and over again live out the Paschal mystery in our lives. And um, one of my favorite saints, St. John of the Cross, also had been described as living out his life as if all of it were slung between Friday and Sunday, meaning as well the Paschal mystery. Um, and that just, I feel like, sums up each of our lives, whether or not we're aware of it, because really the Paschal mystery contains all all of human life, all, all that our lives can be, all of our emotions, all of our experiences, all of our joys and pains. Um, it kind of encapsulates all of it, you know, if we're open to seeing it, if we're open to feeling it. Um, and yeah, I lived that out in a really clear way um, two years ago when I got engaged to my boyfriend of five years at the time. Um, we had been doing a dating fest for a year while I was in my first year as a focus missionary and yeah, coming off the dating fest, going to the Holy Land together and getting engaged was kind of this like, yeah, just like beautiful pinnacle in my life. Um, but, and I'll get more into it later, but a few weeks later, we called off the engagement and that was like a real death in my life. Um, my fiance at the time had revealed to me that he had been unfaithful a few years back and never told me. Um, and it felt like everything I knew was a lie, like my whole world flipped upside down. Um, and it really did feel like I was mourning not only our relationship, but like my best friend, um, my future husband, like it, it almost felt like he died. And, and in a lot of ways, like our relationship did die. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's, there's that experience of like Calvary, you know, of experiencing something that I loved being crucified and and of course it's not you know it's not the same as what Jesus goes through but I think he invites us into what he went through in little ways like this throughout our lives mm -hmm. um so that's like the Friday right so yeah big big dramatic death um and I think most of the time we want to just skip right to Sunday and kind of like 
just go right to experiencing resurrection and new life and joy and healing and all of these things that come with the resurrection, but we often forget that there is a day in between. You know, Saturday, I think, might be the hardest day about the Paschal Mystery, in my opinion, because it's just dark and silent and confusing, and it feels like loss. It feels like emptiness, you know, when, when Jesus was just in the tomb, and the apostles were confused, and they, they thought, like, maybe this wasn't real, you know, there's so much spiritual turmoil that happens in that in that phase, um, and that's what I went through, too, when I broke off the engagement, because I thought, I thought God had called me to marry this man, I thought I had mm-hmm. discerned it well, mm-hmm. I thought he was someone who, um, yeah, really cared for me, and cared about God, and just, like, was a good man, and and he, he is all those things, but it, I was just so disillusioned, um, and it felt like I've been tricked, you know, it felt like you thought you could trust God, but like, look where that led you, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was a real, real experience of like that darkness and the silence and, and just like a long stretch of time. It was about nine months of that where I just was like experiencing that, that day, so to speak. Um, but then at the end of that, surprisingly, kind of out of nowhere came the resurrection that I, I almost lost hope that was coming. Um, and yeah, I really, I really believe Jesus like took his time, but then reunited my, my then, you know, at that point he was my ex, but then we were reunited and, and started dating again and then got engaged again. And crazy to God, we got married two months ago. Mm. Um, and so it's just been this really, incredible um lived experience of each phase of the passion and death resurrection um that has just like yeah it's not so much about me you know as i've lived this it's it's really shown me a part of jesus's heart and and showed me like what he desires to do in each of our lives over and over and over again Mm -hmm. but this was just the first time i'd experienced that and it was so powerful and so life-changing um, that it's a story that I love to tell because it's just, um, I think, just a really clear way to invite people to look at that into their li- look at this in their lives too. Like, yeah, when was the time that I experienced something like this? I think we all have. I think, yeah, I think you guys could probably tell similar stories. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wow. There's just so much there <laughs> that could be unpacked. I know. Um. I like when you were talking about at the beginning, you know, that when you're in the the state of being at the Friday stage, how it felt like death. And, you know, it's when you're at the point in a relationship where you're engaged to someone, you know, it's it's not only, you know, the relationship ending, but it's in a sense like the future that you had planned. Right. You know, like you had an idea of how things were going and that entire you know, future world is gone. And so it is, it is right. a great loss. And, but I love how you're talking about, you know, how the Lord in our stories shows redemption to us. So he not only redeems us, you know, from our sin, but also just from, um, from grief and from these, from these deaths that happen. Um, so I just think that's so important. And if we could just dive into maybe, your relationship. I know in your blog, you were talking about 
you know, that you had this connection that was really special, um, but that you just, neither of you really knew how to love each other, you know, and that you had been hurt by previous boyfriends. So you just didn't know who you wanted to be. And it put a lot of pressure on him to be kind of your everything. And I just think this is a struggle that a lot of women can relate to. I know me personally, just placing their identity in the man they love. You know, it's, you know, just because we're very nurturing creatures, I think just naturally in the way God made us, we, we look for affirmation in the love we're receiving from our partner. And, um, you know, that can put a lot of pressure on the man if we're kind of placing him in that position. So how did you kind of see that play out in your relationship, um, you know, kind of pre the breakup? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's interesting because I didn't, I didn't even know I had done that mm-hmm. until kind of after the fact. And I, I started to look back and realize like, oh, shoot, <laughs> that was dysfunctional. Um but, yeah, I think for me, um, and I think for a lot of women, too, we, like you said, we do, we have the natural gifts of being nurturing and loving and and helping others to, to have the space to grow and to, to change and, and all of those beautiful things. But when that gets twisted, um, it becomes perfectionism, you know, mm-hmm. and I struggle with that a lot it's something I struggled with you know even more back then um and I think because I found part of my identity in in Dan and in my relationship with him that over the course of you know five years that we had been together at the time I had begin begun to see him as like an extension of myself if that makes sense yeah because he to me is like part of what made me good you know Mm -hmm. so when he wasn't living up to that or when like yeah when he made mistakes or when I thought like oh that's not how I would have done that or that wasn't very holy or whatever it is like um he yeah I began to try and control and perfect him as well and so there there's now two people in a relationship um that I was controlling myself and him and when that happens, when there's like, a, you know, another self into the, mi- into the mixture of perfectionism, um, it's painful for both people because I carried the weight of needing both of us to be perfect, you know? So I'm like, just, yeah, really like grasping at control and, and being really critical and just, just um, yeah, just like losing sight of his goodness in a lot of ways. and and that's just a reflection of the way I was viewing myself and talking to myself as well. Um, but yeah, so I put that, that pressure on myself, but then I also put it on him. Mm-hmm. He needed to be perfect in order for me to be at peace and no one can withstand that, you know? Right. And yeah, by putting my identity in him and also struggling with perfectionism and control and all of that, I know that that's not, for, that's not the same for every woman, but that's how it looked for me. It was just this perfect storm that we both kind of lost who we were and like mm-hmm. our our true identity as sons and daughters of God that are good regardless of their performance. And so it became a very like 
performance-based relationship. We, like, needed to be seen as good and holy and worthy, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I just think, yeah, when, when we put our, our, our identity in anything other than God, we run the risk of, like, just losing ourselves and the goodness of the thing we're putting our identity in at the same time. Um, and it's just, it's a shame because it's all, it's all a lie. Those things are already good. And it's just mm-hmm. our natural goodness being twisted and we're told like, yeah, that's actually not good enough. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's really easy to do in a romantic relationship. Um, and it takes, yeah, it takes a lot of self-awareness to kind of break free from that. But I really do think that the Lord desires that. And I've seen that happen so much um, in good holy relationships that Jesus goes after this one thing. Because our identities are the most important thing. And he wants to make sure that those are safeguarded, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So rest assured, any women who are listening that are, are struggling with this, like, Jesus wants your healing and your freedom in this area even more than you do and it mm-hmm. is possible yeah oh man I just <laughs> I don't know if I've shared this with you before but I actually had a very similar experience um, because I was engaged and then we broke off the engagement um, and we're actually married now <laughs> so <Wow>. we have that in common <laughs> but I I definitely relate to just that um you know, it's it's so subtle and so gradual that you really don't, unless you're really like, yeah, like you said, self-aware, um, you're not really noticing that your identity is slowly shifting to be placed on that person. And it really, it, like from what you're saying, and also for me, it was an area of control and perfection, you know, and and then when you start to feel those things kind of fall apart, you just like grasp and hold on even harder. Um, so yeah, I just, um, what you were saying is just so good and such a great reminder, I think for anyone who's dating and preparing for marriage as well, um, that that's something to just be really prayerful about because if you're really seeking the Lord, um, he will He will realign your focus and that's something that he'll honor if we ask. I know, so when you were talking about that moment of getting engaged, you were in the Holy Land, which I think is so just awesome and beautiful, and that you were talking about just how you were feeling in that moment, that it was everything you dreamed of and you were happy, um, but in your happiness, there was an absence of joy. And I, I just, that really hit me when I read that because that was just exactly my experience as well. You know, like you're in this moment of a proposal and it's just like so exhilarating. And then it was only afterwards that I was like, why, like, what's this emptiness? What am I feeling? And you mentioned that you felt uncertain and just even afraid to pray about it because you were somehow worried that Jesus would tell you something you didn't want to hear. And that was just exactly how I was. I avoided praying just for so long because I was terrified that God would tell me that it wasn't his will for me to marry John. Um, And I was just so caught up in like holding on to that relationship that I probably would have married him even if God didn't want me to. And so I was just not going to ask. And so, you know, not that everybody is in the same exact position, but I think we can all relate to a time where we're just avoiding prayer 
And what advice would you have for someone who's in that position? Yeah. Yeah, I think there are so many so many different circumstances in which this might be applicable. You know, I think at, at many different times we confront fear of what God's going to say or just frustration with how our lives are going or, um, yeah, just like anger with, with what we think he might be asking of us. And my advice is just to come as you are and to bring all of your emotions into prayer. You know, um, I think up until this point, I had kind of lived out my spiritual life under this same perfectionism where I thought I, I needed to be um, not only obedient, but like like overly excited and uh, joyful to be doing everything that he asked of me. And that if I were, if I was upset or if I was scared or frustrated, like that wasn't allowed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but during this time, I couldn't avoid those emotions. They were so overwhelming. I was so heartbroken that I learned how to pray in that place. I learned how to go to Jesus in my heartbreak and, like, sit with him in that mess. And I learned, I experienced, I should say, that he can take it, you know. He wanted to be there with me. That was actually, like, the only place he really wanted to to be because that's what my heart was experiencing that was the reality of my heart at that moment and so yeah my my advice would really just to to come as you would come to your best friend who you can trust everything with and vent to them and yeah just trust that God um, can take it and that it's okay to wrestle with him it's okay to be restless you're allowed to yell you're allowed to cry um yeah, and just yeah, just don't believe the lie that like you need to be fully on board. You know, you have to be fully happy about what is going on in your life in order to talk to God about it. Because that's just yeah, it's just a lie. I love that advice of being just super real with God in prayer because He He definitely can take it. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely had moments in my life where. That was the only way that I could go to God with everything that was going on. I couldn't just show up with a happy face. You know, I came with my anger and my tears, and it was in that that God spoke to me. So I I really love that. Mm -hmm. Um, I also just wondered if you could dive more into how God often speaks to us in the unease or lack of peace that we have about things. Um, Because you know how you talked about how you had happiness, but not that like true inner joy and peace. And I've definitely had the opposite where I've been on the surface anxious about something or almost upset about something, but I had this deep inner peace that I can't really describe. And that's how I knew that I needed to move forward, even though I had this anxiety bubbling at the surface. But you talk about the opposite. So I just wanted to hear a little bit more about that in your story. Yeah, yeah, I love that you shared the opposite experience because I think that that is something that we are more aware of. You know, I think oftentimes we we put ourselves out on limbs, you know, pretty often in our culture. We, you know, go to college even though we're scared to leave home. We get a new job even though we're scared about it, you know. There's all these surface-level anxieties, but underneath we know, like, this is worth it, this is good, I'm going to move forward. Um, but I think it's less often that we 
stop and really assess what's going on underneath the surface when the surface looks good and the underneath doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. because I think, I think the reality of, of all of this, um, the reality of discerning the difference between happiness and joy um, kind of comes with just an understanding of the spiritual life in general and, like, um, a willingness to, like, listen a little bit longer to what's really going on in your heart. You have to be comfortable with silence, you know, because that's that's when I realized that that was even going on because, yeah, here I am at the Holy Land, so happy, so excited to be engaged. Um, and it wasn't until I was alone later and in prayer that I was like, I... I don't even want to talk to Jesus about this because I feel uneasy about about it. For some mm-hmm. reason, I, I didn't really know why. Um, and, yeah, it was just this, like, slight nag, but it would have been so easy. And I tried. I really did try to ignore it. I thought, like, oh, the devil's just trying to steal my joy. Like, he's trying to make me doubt a good thing, whatever, you know. Um but it was persistent, and I think that that is is important to note. It's not like I had one doubt, and I was like, uh-oh, this isn't good. You know, it was like every time I tried to push that thought away, it came back pretty pretty gently but pretty persistently. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing I can say is that I couldn't ignore it. And I, I didn't know what it was, though, but... I think God is so good in that he is first and foremost patient with us, but secondly, he's not going to let us miss his will for our life. And so even when things feel like kind of murky like this, like when you're happy on the surface, but like there's a little bit of uneasiness underneath and you're not sure what that is. um, My spiritual director always says that if it is God's will for your life, especially when it pertains to your vocation, he will impress it upon you to the point where you cannot escape it, you know? So if someone knows they're called to be a priest and they're just like, no, 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 like sooner or later, God's going to make it really obvious to them and they can't avoid that, you know, mm-hmm. um, unless they really try. But I think, I think Jesus allows this, like this uneasiness underneath, to kind of prepare, you know, I think that's what it was for me. And I think God was speaking to me in that lack of peace as just like a, don't get too comfortable here, you know, like continue to keep your eyes on me because I'm doing something. Like I'm not, I will lead you, but like something's going on. Don't take it and run. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh my Um, gosh. That's such a great, like loving way to put it as well that like the Lord actually... You know, because I feel like what you're describing is the Holy Spirit within us, mm. um, convicting us and pressing on our hearts the Lord's will. And the fact that you're describing it as gentle and that God would do this out of love for us because he doesn't. He, yeah, like you're saying, he's preparing our hearts like God knows what's about to happen. He knows what is in store for us. And he could just be like, all right, like hope you're ready but instead he like will prepare us and he's slow and he has the perfect timing and um yeah i just i love how you're describing that 
Yeah, it was definitely, definitely the Holy Spirit just, yeah. you know, taking care of his daughter. <laughs> yes. So in your blog that you were writing, um, in the portion where you're talking about your breakup, I, I loved this paragraph. I'm just going to read it. You said, this might sound crazy, but the day Dan and I parted ways was by far the purest love I've ever felt in my whole life. Better than when he asked me to be his girlfriend and better than when he asked me to be his wife was the day he kissed me on the forehead and said, I love you and I'm giving you back to Jesus, Michaela. I remember going back to the chapel after and expecting to fall apart, but instead I was filled with the most tangible joy I'd ever experienced. And I love that, just that juxtaposition of that unease you were feeling and that lack of joy, but that surface happiness and then this moment that is tragic, and yet you're feeling this joy. Um, so would you maybe just take a moment to just describe the difference between having that pure love for someone versus maybe just like a desire for them? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, this was still one of the most like surprising experiences of my life because yeah, like you said, it was pretty tragic afternoon, and then I sit down in the chapel, and I felt this surge of joy. I was, like, giggling and, and like, singing in this chapel, and I'm like, mm. I think I might have lost my mind. Like, what's going on? <laughs> um, <laughs> but as I sat with that and kind of just was like, Jesus, what the heck is going on? He was so clear to me that, like, this is the fruit of love this is the fruit of like true love mm. that is rightly ordered um and i just i need you to feel my joy over the decision that you two just made um because as i say like this moment was was better than those other ones and those other ones were good you know but the reality is there is in order to this life, regardless of what our society tells us. Um, there are things that are good for us, and there are things that are better for us and, and more in line with God's will. And as um, JP2 talks a lot about in Love and Responsibility, to love someone is to will their good, even at the expense of yourself. And so in that moment, Dan and I were both willing each other's greatest good, which was holiness which was um yeah just like sanctity we wanted that for each other more than we just wanted our earthly relationship and so just that experience of um joy really solidified for me that like that moment was pure love and everything else you know had led us to that point mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that like we didn't love each other up until that moment but that was like yeah just a moment of real sacrifice um, and and it was infinitely better than just desire you know mm -hmm. I, I desired Dan for five years but that day that I put his good above my own it broke it broke my heart with with love for him like I can't explain it he I think in that day like I loved him more than I've ever loved him um and we both were so surprised by 
how fulfilling that was, even though, yeah, we had just lost each other. <laughs> it was crazy. I still, I still think about it often. That's beautiful. That is yeah, so beautiful. I love how you brought up what JP2 says about love, that it's really just willing the good of the other, even if it means that we have to sacrifice or mm -hmm. lose something. And yeah, that's that's just so beautiful. Um, one of my favorite parts of your blog post and what I really related to most was um, where you say, I didn't want to break up, but I simply heard Jesus speaking in the deepest place in my heart saying, I promise you there is more. And so I trusted him and gave Dan back to the one who loves him better than I could ever hope to. We both needed deep healing and Jesus is the only one who could provide it. And you just phrased this so beautifully. I myself have heard God say this to me more than once, you know, just trust me, I have more for you. And there's definitely a period though there where you feel like you're waiting. You're in the waiting period when it comes to seeing just exactly what God means when he says, I have more. And I know in your story, you also went through this. Um, and I know a lot of us can relate to that. I feel like right now I'm in a waiting period. Mm -hmm. So do you have any advice for someone who is in that waiting period to remain hopeful and to trust in God? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that word hopeful that you used um, was really pivotal for me because I think up until this point, I had just kind of viewed hope as this like, positive thinking, like, you know, you just, you hope things will play out well in the future. You don't really know what that means. It's just this kind of, like, cliche. Um, but during this time of, of waiting and of confusion and heartbreak, I learned that hope is actually one of the most painful things that, that Jesus asks of us, and yet it is it is like a virtue. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Like this is something the Lord wants for us. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's way deeper than just like, I hope that things will turn out good, you know, um, mm. because true hope requires us to, to on one hand, hold and look at our unfulfilled desires, right? So for me, it was looking at the fact that my future just fell apart so in one hand I'm holding my broken dreams you know mm -hmm. and then on the other hand I have to hold the belief that Jesus is going to fulfill every one of those desires and wants to and could do it tomorrow if he wanted um, and I have to believe that 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 is possible that miracles are possible in this war in this place of deep pain and so holding both of those things together is actually extremely painful because you live day in and day out acknowledging your pain and also, like, trusting that Jesus wants to change it when mm -hmm. it seems like those two things can't be true at the same time. Um, and that, that hope breaks your heart, but mm -hmm. it transforms everything because you learn that the deepest fulfillment of your desires, like, first and foremost, is Jesus. 
because you're like your heart is open and vulnerable and and expectant you know and he comes to it he comes to those places and um, I think oftentimes we just rob ourselves of this deep fulfillment that is that we can experience when we're grieving and like when we're really bringing these difficult things to the Lord we we numb ourselves we're too afraid of, of feeling the pain of unmet expectations and because we're afraid of that we just shut that down we just say like nope I'm gonna I'm gonna hope for a little bit less I'm gonna mm-hmm. expect less of God next time so that I don't have to feel this pain again but by doing that we like we numb the other side of the spectrum which is the absolute unimaginable joy when God does come and fulfill that prayer um, and so the waiting period is not accidental because it it allows that to, to strengthen and to deepen um, and it, it gives us time to like understand what's going on and to understand our desires and to purify them so that when it's time for Jesus to fulfill them we can really enter into that joy and not just feel like yeah this is another thing I've earned for myself or like another thing that um, I'm just going to take for granted um, mm. it really allows for the whole range of like yeah deep heartbreak to like abounding joy um, and a heart fully alive which is what Jesus wants for each of us and I think we just we rob ourselves of that by being afraid to wait by being afraid to really hope and trust um, that God's coming I love that I um, there's this podcast that I listen to, and you may have heard of it, called The Place We Find Ourselves. And <laughs> yes, yeah, so good. <laughs> and yeah, he and maybe you've heard it. He has an episode on hope, and he, he calls it, um, I don't remember his exact wording, but hope is this deep inner groaning because mm-hmm. it's keeping alive, like you said, those desires, very real desires that we have, but to to have to hope for something you have to not have it yet but you can't just deaden that desire so it is extremely painful um but it really is in those those waiting periods that we're strengthened and that we you know grow closer to jesus and then when we eventually have that desire you know fulfilled by god it's it's beautiful and i know that your story just shows that so beautifully and um it gives me a lot of hope for this place where I'm waiting and I, it is really painful, but it's just trusting mm-hmm. Jesus. Um, yeah. I also yeah. like how you said yeah. at the end there that, um, you know, it, it teaches us to actually view gifts from God as gifts from God, not something that we earned or, you know, got for ourselves. And mm-hmm. um, I know that's a lesson that I feel like I have to learn over and over again um, as someone who likes to be in control. <laughs> um and I know you mentioned at the towards the end of your story that um, you said, I knew that if Dan were ever to come back in my life, it had to be a clear gift from God, not just another thing I had controlled and grasped for myself. And I know that, um, you know, after John and I broke off our engagement, I went to a counselor for several weeks um, because it's pretty traumatic. <laughs> and, you know, I was just working through the situation with her and I was telling her how much I was praying for God and just begging him to give John back to me. And she just stopped me and she asked, but how often do you pray for John? And it just felt like a slap in the face, like a good slap, but definitely like just took my breath away for a second. Cause I realized that in my desire for John, it, it, I wasn't 
desiring for his ultimate good, but it was for my control and happiness. And so I wasn't truly loving him like Christ. And so just with you mentioning, you know, the control and grasping for something that maybe God doesn't want, um, could you just maybe expound on the difference between something being a gift from God and something that we're controlling or grasping for, especially in the context of a relationship? Yeah, totally. I think, I think your experience and as well as what I was sharing earlier, um, just reveals how often we are just trying, we live our lives trying so hard to just keep it together, you know, to be good enough, to Mm -hmm. look good enough, um, to, yeah, like, make the people around us better, um, and that is exhausting, honestly, but Mm -hmm. I kept up, I kept that up for so long, um, and controlled our relationship so thoroughly that it actually resulted in me, like, leading, you know, I was taking a dominant role, um, in our lives together, Mm. and, as Jesus was revealing to me, like, in our months apart, all of the, the brokenness that um, I was experiencing and just, like, yeah, I felt like all these pieces were, like, laying around me. Um, and I started to realize, like, oh, this element of our relationship was actually not the way it should have been, you know. Mm-hmm. That, that was, like, a big chunk of... of yeah, of our relationship that I, I sat with for a long time and, and recognized, like, that was my fault, you know. Mm. I, I led because I was afraid of failure. I was afraid of being rejected, all these things. Um, but at the end of the day, I was playing a role that my feminine heart was not meant to play. I was being the leader in the relationship, um, mm. and I was controlling and manipulating things, and the feminine heart is just not designed for any of those things, you know, that is not where we come alive and so I knew in that time that we broke up, like if I'm ever going to be in a relationship again Mm -hmm. (laughs) whether that's with Dan or any other man I knew that that element was like the biggest thing that needed to change and the biggest marker of God's Grace, like taking shape in the term of a relationship again. So I knew, like, if Dan is to come back into my life, this would have to be different, and I can't be the one to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So that was really difficult because there were several times throughout the nine or ten months that Dan and I were apart where we would bump into each other at different focus events or whatever, and sometimes I noticed, like, he he's afraid to talk to me, he's afraid to mess up, he's waiting for me to make the first move, Mm. Um, and all of those things were like these little signs that like, nope, we're still acting out of that dysfunctional pattern, Mm -hmm. and I can't go there yet, you know, Um, and I would leave whatever that interaction was devastated because I thought, oh, maybe we can get back together now, maybe things are different, and every time I would kind of go in like with this knowledge, um, in mind and it wasn't until like yeah like I said many months later that we bumped into each other and he took initiative and then he pursued me afterwards and he 
just was leading in a way that I'd never seen him, never experienced, and I was given the chance to learn to do what my heart was made for, which is to receive, Mm. and our relationship just came alive in, like, new ways. We both felt like we were really experiencing each other for the first time, Mm. and I think that that, yeah, just that, like, big shift between, like, controlling and grasping and then learning to receive was probably the biggest marker of, like, wow, God has done crazy healing here because this Mm -hmm. is not at all how we used to relate with each other. Um, And so, yeah, just for, like, those women and men who might be listening to this, like, just to know what what am I looking for, you know? How do I know if this is healthy? Um, Women, if, if your heart feels like it has to lead, if, it, if you feel like you are not able to just be led and be loved and receive that and then give of yourself from that place of reception, um, odds are those feminine and masculine roles are probably reversed in a way that is not good for either of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I'm not trying to say that like being a man and being a woman needs to look a particular way. Um, but there definitely is, um, yeah, a desire of the feminine heart and a deep desire of the masculine heart to mm-hmm. function a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. and what, and those are just so easily twisted by the enemy, but when they're untwisted and when they're lived out in that it's proper order, it is beautiful and fulfilling for, for both, you know? Um, yeah, so I would just say like our hearts feel the difference between controlling and grasping. Mm-hmm. and receiving and so we just have to kind of be honest with ourselves is that what I'm experiencing or or is it yeah, yeah. that's beautiful mm-hmm. so I know we started this out by talking about the Paschal mystery about the Friday Saturday and Sunday and you finally got to see that Easter Sunday that resurrection in your story and you you know just got married recently which by the way congratulations yes congrats. <laughs> and you you looked gorgeous in your photos I saw on Instagram I was looking through all of them it just looks so beautiful <laughs> and I yeah I just wanted to end this by you know sharing a little bit more about um how you guys got back together and what that looked like Yeah, so as I was kind of alluding to before, Dan and I had bumped into each other at different points throughout the year, um, and it was just never—it was never right. I would—I would walk away from the in, the you know incident wrecked. The next few days, I would be like back to ground zero, like crying all day, um, mm. just feeling like anxious and and just sad. And but then in like about like six months out of our breakup, um, I began to feel just like an, a return of like joy in my life and um, yeah, just like the possibility of being attracted to another person kind of came up and I was like, well, that's weird. Like I never thought that would happen again, whatever. Um, and just all these like little signs that my heart was kind of returning, kind of like a springtime in my heart, you know? Mm. Um, and I didn't, I just, I just lived in that. I didn't do anything about it. 
because it would have been really easy to be like, I feel great, I feel much better, I think we're healed, let's get back together, you know? But like I said, I knew I knew I needed to wait for Dan to experience the same thing and to come to me of his own free will, if he was going to at all. You know, I kind of let, let go of that um, and was even open to meeting someone new or whatever. Um, and so about nine months out, um, I had committed to moving to Germany for my third year as a focus missionary. So that was originally supposed to be a three-year commitment. And so this was kind of like the last death that I would, I would kind of describe that I was like, all right, well, I haven't really heard from him and I'm moving to Germany for three years. So I guess this is the end, you know, and I mm-hmm. think the last little rope connecting us um, was, was severed. And I, I felt again, that like freedom um, and joy just with that, that final surrender. Um, and so I still knew though that Dan needed to hear about that from me. Like, Hey, just wanted you to know I'm moving to Europe for three years. Um, and then I bumped into him a few weeks later and we just had a really good and honest conversation where he just shared with me, um, what was going on in his heart and how he still desired relationship, but that he like, yeah, was just paralyzed in confusion about what God wanted versus what he wanted. And again, it was just one of those experiences where I was like, okay, I can't, I can't manipulate him here. And so we parted ways and I started to pray really intentionally for him a few weeks later because I recognized that his, his paralyzation about what to do and how to do it and all of that was a result of like the ways in which I controlled him for years. Like being free from from that leadership and control for the first time in five years, you're going to flounder. And I I could see that in him that he was like learning how to be a man in in that particular way. Mm. Um, and I started praying for him, and it was on my heart to pray in novena to Saint Joseph, um, particularly for Dan and healing in this in this place of leadership um and so it was really crazy because on the ninth day of that novena Dan called me um and asked me out on a date and so I was like pretty hesitant but I knew like okay this is literally an answered prayer so I'm gonna trust it move forward and he showed up to that date wearing a shirt with St. Joseph's heart on it (laughs) and I had not told him anything um yeah, he had no idea, but it was just those, like, mm. it, I mean, that was a pretty big thing for me. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is not a coincidence. Um, it just gave me a lot of peace, and there were just those little markers of, like, just one more date, just one more step, just trust me one more time um, as we continue to, to date and discern, mm. and then, yeah, we, we knew a few months later, I think it was another, like, nine months or so after that, um, that Jesus was asking us to trust him, you know, one more time in mm-hmm. getting engaged again. Mm-hmm. And that was really scary, honestly, to commit again after the pain we'd been through. But we really took it day by day and step by step and leaned on Jesus more than we ever had before. Um, yeah, and our relationship is so much more free and, and beautiful and just not perfect by any means, but 
yeah, just really transformed, and, and I'm so grateful. And, yeah, we got married two months ago, and it's just, yeah, God is good. Marriage is beautiful, and mm -hmm. it was worth every second of the mess that led to it. And we both say that all the time, and I think we freak people out, but we're always like, oh, yeah, that, was, that was the best thing that ever happened to us. Like, we would do it again. And we mean it, and it sounds crazy, but it's true. <laughs> no, that's that's beautiful, and I think your story shows, like, just the reward of faithfully waiting on God and his timing and, and being humble enough to recognize those areas and those failings and just to wait on him and how beautiful it is um, to just be living within his will. You know, that's really when you see the fruit of his blessings in our lives. And yeah, I like how you talk about often following God is just trusting him in that next step and following that peace and trusting that even though you can't see the entire picture, God will be there with you step by step, moment by moment, and he will give you that peace if it is if it's his will. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just what a beautiful story. And also shout out to our boy, St. Joseph, the year of St. Joseph. <laughs> I love St. Joseph. I'm going to consecrate to him again this year. And um, I love that. That's such a crazy story. Yeah. What a neat sign. <laughs> yeah, he's a powerful intercessor, I think, especially for vocation. Mm -hmm. For sure. Thank you so much for your, your openness and your vulnerability and sharing your story. I mean, I know we've said this a few times, but it is like a very tragic, like very heart-wrenching kind of experience to go through. Um, but it is, it's just so evident God's redemption in your story. And I think like you said at the beginning, it's so important for others to hear that and to look at their own stories and to see how God has, you know, woven those themes of redemption um so thank you so much for just your willingness to come on and and tell us your story and tell all of our listeners your story um yeah that's just really that's really important to us this is a great gift yeah. i love telling this story um and just seeing the way it touches different people in in their unique journey it's so cool yeah yeah it's such a beautiful example of god really being there in the suffering and in the waiting and that he he does always come through, mm -hmm. even if we don't see how he's going to do it and his way will be better than ours. And um, yeah, your story is just giving me a lot of hope right now. And it really is such a gift personally in my life, even just today. So mm -hmm. I just want to say thank you so much. And God is just using your story and the suffering that you went through to really help others, including me and our waiting and, and our suffering. So I've said it a million times, but really just thank you so much for being so yeah. honest and open and for talking about something that can be really difficult to talk about. Mm -hmm. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.